When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Hey, I got an idea for you guys. Um, I'm going to just uh, kind of throw something out here. How's this for a business strategy? Do good deeds for every person you meet and don't ask for or expect anything in return. Now, if that doesn't sound like a crazy way to run a business, uh, I hope I got your attention here because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. Uh, the gentleman I've got on the show today, Jonathan Kais, um, uh, okay, stop, I'm going to edit it. The gentleman I've got on the show today, Jonathan Kaiser, is uh, a Wall Street Journal number one bestseller. And more importantly, and this is really why I want to you know, have this conversation with him, he is absolutely disrupting the commercial real estate market. Um, USA Today said that he is uh, probably the single most uh, disruptive force in the market today. So um, I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about who he is and, and what's, what he's up to, because we've got a fascinating conversation. His energy is amazing. Uh, and I just, you know, actually love talking to this guy. He's, uh, he's um, just intelligent. He's bright. He's articulate. And you're going to absolutely love this episode, folks. So Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And I don't know if my wife would repeat all of those very kind accolades that you just articulated. <laughs> well, hey, I'm just going to you know, kind of be the muse on your shoulder here. I appreciate that. <laughs> so you know, tell, you know, give the folks a little bit of a background. You know, sure. You know, how did you end up doing what you're doing in the way that you're doing it? Sure. So I had a kind of a different kind of upbringing. I was raised by Christian missionary parents in Papua New Guinea of all places. And my parents pounded into my head, love, serve, give, help, go above and beyond, pay it forward. But when we got back from overseas, Blaine, what I realized is that we were poor. And I had no sense of that when I was overseas. And so I associated what my parents had taught me about helping other people with the poor house. And so I decided at a young age that I wanted to be rich. And so what do you do if you want to be rich? You get into commercial real estate brokerage because all your friends say that's where all the money is. So I got into commercial real estate brokerage. And as I got in, I realized pretty quickly, Blaine, that this was a cutthroat, take no prisoners, dog eat dog kind of industry. Uh, but I, be, I felt trapped in it because I wanted the success that came with the industry. And I liked the actual business of doing real estate deals but I didn't like who I felt I had to be to be successful. And then 20 years ago, I go to a kind of nondescript conference. We've all been to many of those. And a, and a guy gets up and he starts talking about a different way of doing business, a, a way of succeeding 
by helping other people succeed, a way of serving others and having it come back to you. And I was just fascinated. I'd never heard anything like it. So I went up to him afterwards and I said, first of all, I was very skeptical. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, is this really true? Do you really help people and make money doing it? Because he kind of sounded like my dad, you know, teaching me to love and serve. And he said, yeah. And he explained how he did it. And he equated it to this difference between hunting and farming. He said, Jonathan, today you're hunting. You go out, you get a piece of business, you close the piece of business, then you got to get up and do it all over again. He's like, what I'm describing is more like farming. And here, so I live in Arizona. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. And here in my backyard, I have this huge, massive lemon tree and it yields so much fruit. I don't know what to do with it, but it wasn't always that way. When it was little, I had to nurture it. I had to water it. I had to put a fence around it so the dogs wouldn't tear it out of the ground. But today, after all that nurturing and not getting fruit for many years, today it, it, it produces a massive amount of fruit. And so he, he explained it like that and it made sense to me. It was like, invest in others, figure out what other people need, help them get that, and then you it comes back. And so I decided that <clears throat> I was sick of living a life that was misaligned with who I really what I really believed and who I really was inside. And so I decided to change and threw my old business plan away and started getting involved in the community and just helped everybody that I could. And over time, I mean, it wasn't a overnight success. Over time, people started to really appreciate what I'd done for them or their family or their kids or whoever. And people started referring business to me. And that and that was this unbelievable experience where I didn't have to go sell. I didn't have to go pitch. I didn't have to go, you know, do all the things that most people have to do. My phone was ringing and all I had to do was stay in service. And so in an epiphany moment in uh, here in Arizona, when you need an epiphany, you go to Sedona. So I went to Sedona and, and I had an epiphany that, that what if I could teach other people how to do this? And what if I could build a firm? Cause I was at a traditional firm at the time. What if I could create a firm that this is all we did and this is what we stood for. Um, and so that was in 2012. And I, I wrote down a list Blaine, of all the things I wished were true about commercial real estate brokerage. And we built our 15 core operating principles around those, those items that I wrote, I wrote there in Sedona. And today the it, it's been extraordinary. It's been, it's been like the most extraordinarily magical experience I've ever, I've ever experienced with this teaching other people how to do it, spreading the love in the community and having business come back to us. And so now, you know, I, now what I do is I spend my time trying to help other people see, hey, if if I could do this as a ruthless cutthroat commercial real estate broker in commercial real estate brokerage of all industries, anyone can do this. Um, and so I wrote the book and then we were very fortunate for it to do well. And um, But at its core, it's that fundamental message of what if you didn't have to be ruthless to get ahead? What if you didn't have to stab people in the back or, or just look out for number one? I mean, we all know how to serve. We all know how to love. We do it in our families, we do it in our social circles. And then somehow we get into business and we forget all that. And we think we got to go fight, fight, fight and stand up for number one. And so my whole message to the world is you can have both. You can have your cake and eat it too. And you can create extraordinary success by helping other people create extraordinary success for themselves. And that's the beauty of it all. So I appreciate you having me on, obviously with your, you know, compassionate capitalism message, this is very much aligned with what you're, you're describing and what you're up to in the world. So I appreciate 
all that you do because it takes a community, right? It's not just a one-off. This isn't my mission. This is all of our collective mission to make the world a better place through business. You know, I love uh, uh, the, the, your story. You know, just I mean, when we first talked, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is a no-brainer. Of course, I've got to have you on the show. Now, for you know, in large part for this reason, you know, I grew up on the notion, yeah, it's a jungle out there. You, mm -hmm. Yeah, just, I mean, and yeah, as, as a kid, you know, the idea of a jungle, oh my God, danger. You know, <laughs> there's danger out there, you know, Will Roberts. But what, yeah, you know, I've, I've been in jungles. I've, you know, in Papua New Guinea, I mean, you have too. Uh, they are alive. They're lush. They everything is you know, overlapping. Everything is intertwined. Yes. I mean, I would much prefer being in a jungle, yeah, you know, quite frankly, than just about any place else. If I had some options, because I know I'm going to find the things that will actually allow me to live. Now, is there stuff that I need to watch out for? Absolutely. That's just kind of the nature of life. Yeah. But one of the things that you're talking about here is shifting the mindset mm. from competition to cooperation, from, you know, from uh, uh, separation to inclusion. Mm. I mean, th these sorts of dynamics, which, you know, you mentioned the book, Compassion, or the, the, you know, not only the book, but you know, my whole mission uh, around compassionate capitalism. It's impossible to be compassionate about something I feel disconnected from. And most people feel disconnected uh, from you know, the activity of business in so many ways, not to, you know, the least of which is in their own companies. They feel disconnected from what the company's about. That is not the case in your firm. Your company does not have that, you know, that sense of duality. Um, you talk about in your book, and by the way, folks, the, the title of the book, and you've got to pick up a copy of this, you don't have to be ruthless to win. It's uh, not uh, a war and peace size novel, so don't be put off by the fact that, big font, <laughs> that it's big a, font. <laughs> it is an easy read, and I say easy not in the way that uh, you might think about it being simplistic. It is rich with stuff, but you can get through it pretty quickly, and there are lessons that you can pull immediately out of this and start applying. One of the things that I wanted to talk about was the three levels of reinvention that you identify. So if you could just take a little bit of time here, uh, Jonathan, and just kind of you know, run through those three. Sure. And, and just to be clear, this is my personal experience. Like we came up with three levels of reinvention by watching how I went through this and hindsight's 2020, right? So looking back, we said, oh, that's how it works. So like Gandhi says, you gotta be the change you wanna see in the world. So the most important thing about becoming a selfless leader is you as the leader have to become a selfless leader. So while simplistic in its nature, non, not simplistic in its, in its execution and implementation, and people have really good BS detectors so you, you have to be authentic about it. So be the change. That's the first level. You yourself have to be the change you want to see in the world. A fish rots from the head. It has to start with you as the leader. I hear so many leaders that talk about, oh, my people this and oh, my people that and all the stuff they're complaining about. I try to help them see in a kind and authentic way that it's a reflection of the kinds of behaviors 
that they're creating within the organization. The culture is reflective often and usually of the leader. So first level is self-reinvention. Then it's creating an organization where the DNA of that organization is selfless, internal, with clients, how you interact, what you do and how you approach things. Are you collaborative, right? You talked about competition versus collaboration. I didn't come up with this word, but there's a clever word I like to use called co-ompetition. And I really believe that that is a, it's a profoundly um, unique way to look at how you can do business. Still in a competitive scenario, not being pushed around or taken advantage of, but still being able to cooperate, collaborate, and take care of other people. And so, so it starts with the leader, and then you create this company culture around it. And then the third level is the community. And the community is your partners, your vendors, things like the environment, right? Everything outside of the company, do you have that same mindset of selfless service with, within that interaction? I see a lot of companies, they talk about how great their cultures are, the leader's great, the people are great, and then you see how they treat their vendors, and you think you're kind of missing it. You're not, you're not seeing the full picture. And so this idea of an inside-out revolution or a reinvention from the inside out enables an individual, respectively then an organization, and then respectively then a community to be transformed through this. Now, I am not in any way, shape, or form claiming that we are the sole impetus for the transformation in the, com the business community here in greater Phoenix, Arizona. But you could say that we're a big part of that transformation because of how many people we've served, how many people we've helped, how many interactions we've had that are around this ideology, and then bringing others and inviting other people in through compassionate capitalism or conscious capitalism or other, other movements that are designed to help elevate humanity through business, right? I mean, again, I go back to the fundamental the fundamental key is we all know how to do this stuff and we know that it works because we do it where it matters most. But then somehow we believe that when it comes to business, we have to behave differently. And so I'm here to try to help people see that maybe there's another way. Good, good. We're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, I want to pick up on that second point that you talk about, you know, you know, you co-op, you know, competition, cooperation piece. I, I, I specifically want to, I want to bust a myth about competition. Mm. And I think you're going to be the guy to help me do that. So we're, we're going to take a real quick break and we'll be back in just a minute. We're talking to Jonathan Kaiser and uh, great book that he's got out. You don't have to be ruthless to win. So, Jonathan, I'll see you on the, the backside of this little commercial break. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to BlaineBartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that 
site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the leadership mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Hello and welcome. This is Blaine Bartlett. You're coming back to me um, from a break. I know you have coming back to me because you're now listening again. Jonathan Kaiser is here with me. <laughs> Before we took that break, I, I, I kind of teed up a little thing here that I wanted to bust a myth that a lot of people have around competition. And it's kind of linked into the notion of success. I have to compete if I'm going to be successful. And there's a, there's a whole thing that I'm working with right now around uh, kind of the mythology of goal setting and what comes in, you know, kind of comes into play around that. Who am I competing with? Ooh. And the idea, and I just want to check this out with you, Jonathan, the idea of competition. You know, when you stop and back up a little bit, when people are competing, essentially what they're doing is they're keeping score in a win-lose scenario. And that win-lose is steeped in this notion of I've got only a finite amount of resources to play with here, whether it's yardage on a field or whatever it might be. Um, all of that is evidence of a, a consciousness of scarcity. Competition is born out of an experience, a felt experience of separation from not just each other, but separation from the idea that the universe itself is abundant mm -hmm. and will supply anything and everything I could ever want for the success that I'd like to have in my life. And if I can begin to appreciate that fact, that it's an abundant universe. I don't have to compete for what I think are scarce resources, but what I do need to be able to do is manage my mindset and start getting creative in terms of how I access that abundance. And, the, and kind of the, the shorthand on this is amateurs compete, professionals create. And I know a lot of very high level professionals that when you look at them, you think, Boy, these are competitive guys. I was talking to Marshawn uh, Lynch the other day about this. And yeah, you look at Marshawn, I mean, yeah, NFL, the Hall, the Hall of Fame, you know, all this kind of stuff. He is not competitive. He does not have a competitive bone in his body. He has a creative skeleton. I mean, he, he lives to create. Now, he will use competition to hone his skill set. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, diamond, yeah. Steel rub steel here, you know, yes. that kind of stuff. I, yeah. But in the commercial, and this is where I'm going with this long introduction on this. You talk about the dog eat dog in a commercial real estate environment. Yeah, backstabbing. Yeah, all of the stuff that you know, traditionally would be you know, thought of as being part and parcel of that environment. You have been incredibly successful in that environment and you don't compete 
mm. in the way that most people think about competition. Is that an accurate assessment on my part? Yes, 100%. And I everything that you just said, I'm in agreement with. So you said it better than I probably could have said it. My whole hey, concept. Don't try this at home. You're a professional. You're a professional. <laughs> the whole concept to me of co-opetition is a recognition that it takes a village and that without competition, like if you just use the word competition, without competition, there is no business. Business is built on the idea of competition. So we're not trying to get rid of competition. This isn't, you know, compassionate socialism. This is compassionate capitalism, right? But the idea is that you don't have to leave a trail of dead bodies behind you on your pursuit of your mission. And I love what you just said about the creative. I think that is the key. And the way that I look at it is this. And I'm, just to be clear, I'm in no way, shape or form claiming to have all the answers or to be perfect in anything that I say. I'm a work in progress like we all are, right? I am a constant work in progress. And so there'll be plenty of people that know me that go, hey, yeah, but I remember when you did this a couple months ago and that was, all of that is probably very true. But what I strive towards is this idea of abundance and this idea of service. So how do those overlay? Well, for me, what I believe is if I'm committed to providing an extraordinary level of service, far above what anybody that you would consider a competitor would do, then I should assume that I'm likely to win because nobody else is going to be committed enough to earn it. And so instead of competitive, I like the word committed. Who's more committed to the opportunity? I, ha I had the very fortunate ex experience of, of coming in second on a big piece of business that we were competing for. Because what I learned from that is that the group that beat us was more committed. And I thought we were going to be the most committed, but they took whatever we were doing and they came over the top of their level of commitment. So it wasn't uh, we're better than Kaiser and us saying we're better than them. It was, I brought a certain level of committedness into the room that was a, at a very high level and they went way over the top. And so that's my whole philosophy. It's like the reason why Kaiser clients are so sticky is because the level of service we provide, the level of commitment we provide is so ridiculously above and beyond that our competitors mostly say, I don't really want to go after that business because I don't want to have to do what they do to service that business. Now, here's the secret though. The secret in all this, if you ignored everything else I said, don't miss this. The secret is that we don't have to sell right? Like I don't have to go pitch. Here's why I'm great. Here's what everything about Kaiser. What we do is we provide such an abundantly above and beyond service level that we create empowered ambassadors with everybody that we touch or the majority of people that we touch, right? And so those people then become our salespeople. And they go, oh my gosh, you got to work with Kaiser. You're not going to believe what they did for us. If they did this for us, imagine what they could do for you. So by the time I show up in their room, I'm not competing. I've already been, they've already heard about, here's the kind of work that Kaiser does. And here's why they're the best. 
And so I show up and I'm able to just serve instead of me talking about me the whole time, I serve them in that moment. And so they hear about it from someone that we helped. I didn't have to sell it. We get in the room because of that. And then in that room, I live that. I don't sell in the room. I, I jump instantly into serving. And so that's why I believe that selfless service is the greatest business principle of all time. And so when you think about this whole idea of competition or collaboration or competition is that word that I, I said earlier. The whole idea is I don't look at anybody as a competitor, really, although I use that term loosely because there are other people in our space that, that are going after the same accounts. But I look at it as the business that we're supposed to have, Blaine, when we show up, they either want that level of commitment or they don't. And so yep. for me, I don't have to worry about what are they doing other than, like I just learned from this recent experience, sometimes you need to even up your own level of commitment that you already think is at a high level to make sure that you're staying at the highest level. So it's more of an internal creative. How do you make sure that you're delivering? Yep. It's that internal creative that makes the distinction. And again, I was, you know, when I was talking to Marshall about this, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Olympic athletes, so there's been studies done on Olympic athletes. Olympic athletes, you would think that they compete with the, you know, the runner in the other lane. They don't. Themselves. They, they're, 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 it's internal. What do I need to do to bring my best self forward? And they use the other runners as kind of you know, a hare and a rabbit sort of a thing here, uh, like a greyhound race. It's kind of, it's right out in front of me one step or no, it's behind me just a little bit. Let's keep it moving. So that incremental growth you know, piece that comes into play there. You mentioned something about, you know, the way that you actually quote unquote sell, which isn't selling. What you do is, and this is my listening for it. What you do is you create relationship because the the, the, the cred has already, credibility has already been established. Um, you know, and Jeff Bezos one time said that, you know, your brand is what other people talk about when you're not in the room. Exactly. And so you're, you've got these ambassadors out there talking, talking you up and you get in the room and now it's just a question of how can I best serve you? And that's a relationship question. Yeah. And that's a relationship. And you know, can, I, can I just talk on the relationship point real for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a, there's a lot of false narratives and misunderstanding on relationships. Because a lot of people view a relationship as I have, let's just talk about the service provider space. Because uh, I'm a service provider, right? We help companies with their real estate needs. So in my general world, um, people consider a relationship someone that has hired them to help them with something. I don't consider that a relationship. I consider that a vendor, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a vendor. I try never to be a vendor. I want to be such a, I want to be such a helpful strategic partner that cares so much about their success that I'm inevitably just automatically their broker because I'm doing so much more than just helping them go find office space or renegotiate a lease or go build a warehouse. I'm helping them creatively think about things in their business that are outside of real estate that could be helpful. So it's like, if you're just a one trick pony and you just show up and you just want to know, hey, this is okay. You have a need. I can help you with that need. To me, that's not a relationship. That's a vendor. But if you're that person where they go, man, Everybody calls me JK. JK's really got my back. 
And every time I have a problem, I call him or if I need something, I reach out to him and he makes connections. That's a relationship because to me, relationships are driven by how much has that person been helped, been served, been been uh, given to versus a mutual exchange of value in a transactional type of vendor relationship. Yeah, if, it, if it's transactional, then it becomes a commodity. Mm -hmm. Then you're into price competition. And I mean, all of the stuff that most people you know, abhor uh, and will sort for. You know? So yeah, 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 put a capstone on this. The purpose of business from my perspective is to uplift the experience of being alive on this planet. Okay, that's, that's my definition of what the purpose of business is. How do people feel about themselves when they're in the presence of your service or product? If they feel uplifted, that's a relationship dynamic. Mm -hmm. If they feel they are, you know, you got my back. I feel like I, I feel like I'm important. I feel like I'm significant. I'm, you know, I feel like my needs are being met. Mm -hmm. I feel communication is not a logical process. And most people approach the sales dynamic from, from logic. It's a biological process. Totally. Totally and, agree. And, yeah, you tap into that relational dynamic. It's a felt dynamic. And if people are feeling with you, I feel you. I feel you. I mean, that, there, there's a reason we have that language. I feel you. That means I'm with you. That is where you start getting compassion into the mix, service into the mix. And that's where you start creating wins that are huge. Yeah. And I want to talk one more thing. What you just yeah. said is so true. And I want to talk more about the abundance just briefly because yeah. you, you really said it well, but I just want to add one little additional point on that. It, it is amazing that there is this mindset of scarcity. And I think it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, Blaine, because well, if I'm thinking, if I'm thinking from the place of scarcity, then, then you're thinking from the place of scarcity and we're all competing for scarce resources and when we're thinking through scarcity mindset, it's it's widely and, and, and variably associated with fear, right? And fear shuts down the brain. And so you're not able to be creative if you're coming from scarcity because you're in fear and you're basically in fight or flight. So what I like to think about is this big, bold, crazy vision that I have. Like I have a big, hairy, audacious goal. And then I have, which is a BHAG, and then I, yeah, I, created, yeah. I created this term I call HAG, which is a huge, hairy, audacious goal. And, and, and my vision, and again, it's not goal setting, it's more visioning. It's like, my vision is, imagine for a second blank, just imagine a business world. I'm only talking to business people here. Imagine a business world where everybody in business, instead of scratching, clawing, and fighting their way to the top, what they're doing is they're trying to figure out how much they can help everybody they touch around them. They are not withholding the good they could do for others in the world because we all know we do that. You listening right now, you know, we are always kind of going, well, you know, this is mine. I don't know if I want to give it away. If we all just dropped our guard, if we all just tried to help everybody that we could, imagine the abundance. We could literally change the world. Blaine, I don't think there's a bigger cause out there 
than transforming business because business is such a fundamental part of everything that we all do. So if we can transform how we do business so that people are showing up with a listing to help the other person versus get as much for themselves, if it's no longer a zero sum game, but a competition for who can outserve the other person and everywhere you go, it's like that. Literally, that is that is a utopian society. And all the good, all the abundance, all the all the opportunity that that currently is tightly held could be unlocked and unleashed. And that's a vision that I am super, super excited for. And that's what I get up every morning and, and work towards. You and I came out of the same peapod here. I mean, that's you know, the entire idea of compassion. My last TED talk was exactly around that. I looked at nature as the ultimate business guru. And that's part of the, part of the title of that talk. But it's, yeah, everything in nature serves as a center of distribution, not a center of accumulation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it, it's, you know, you're just flowing. You're just flowing stuff. You're not holding on tight. And, and I love the way that you described that. You know, I mean, scarcity generates fear and fear comes and fear generates the consciousness of scarcity. Yep. And when you're contracted, you aren't creative. And this is how you have built this business. And this is one of the reasons that you were such a disruptor in this commercial real estate <laughs> field, because when people start, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go back and I'm going to quote uh, what I started with here. This is in this, this quote, by the way, what I opened with uh, the show on, how's this for a business strategy? Do, do good deeds for every person you meet and don't ask for or expect anything in return. Sound crazy? That is the way to build a business. And that's what Jonathan has been doing. JK, uh, how can people find out more about what you're up to? Uh, best way is kaiser.com. K-E-Y-S-E-R, not like the hospital system. K-E-Y-S-E-R.com. And you can get to everything um, from there. And, and I'd also, I would also challenge and invite people to, to take me up on my offer. When I say I'm here to help, I mean it. There's no strings attached. If, if, if people listen to this and say, hey, I, I'm interested in X, Y, or Z, shoot me a note. I'll help you in any way that I can. Magic. Folks, you've been listening to Jonathan Kaiser and uh, his book, You Don't Have to Be Ruthless to Win. Get it on Amazon. It is a Wall Street Journal number one bestseller. It is an incredible read. It really is. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because he's on the guest and he's on the show and he's looking at me. Uh, I am saying it because it's true. I've uh, I've gone through the book. So, folks, you've been listening again. You know, Soul of Business with Blaine Barlett. Before we get out of here, uh, Jonathan, um, how are you leaving it better than you found it? Mm. I, I I dream of a world where people selflessly help each other, regardless of personal gain, understanding that it's in their own personal best interest to do so. And I believe, Blaine, that it's incumbent upon all of us as leaders to lead by example. So that's what I try to do. Not perfectly, but day in and day out, I get up and I try to see how do I help more? How do I give more than I get today? And the coolest part about all of that is that the universe cannot handle an imbalance. So no matter how much I give, no matter how much I serve, no matter how much I help, it just comes back in spades. And that is the message that I'm trying to show the world. And if I can do it in arguably the most cutthroat, ruthless, take no prisoners industry in the world, commercial real estate brokerage, you can too. 
Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett, guest tonight and today and this morning, whenever you're listening to this, is Jonathan Kaiser. Jonathan, thanks. Folks, tune in next week. we got another great show for you. Um, do check out my uh, uh, TEDx talk. I think you'd uh, enjoy it. It's not a particular long one. None of the TED talks are. Uh, you can find out more about what I'm at, uh, what I'm at, what I'm doing at blainebartlett.com. And there's a link there to the, uh, the TED talk as well. So we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.